let's pray together and ask for God's help for me and for us all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, we pray that you might help me to teach words that are true, clear. May they be spoken in love and with boldness today. Lord, we pray for all of us listening that you might give us ears that are ready to hear, minds that are teachable, hearts that are ready to change by a work of your spirit, which we pray that you would do for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Please keep your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 3. Well, it was early in the morning in Arizona on January 1st this year when Carolyn noticed smoke coming from her neighbour's house where her neighbour, Nicole, her husband and four kids were sleeping. Carolyn rushed next door and saw flames coming out of the garage. She ran to the front door, pounding on it. Nobody answered. She started ringing the bell over and over, yelling out. Eventually, thankfully, Nicole and her family woke up and made it out safely. Within five minutes, the roof of the house collapsed. Nicole's family were saved when Carolyn warned them of the danger and the fire. And that's what God does in his word for us today. He warns us of the danger and the fire. Uh, you'll see here, first slide please, yeah, my title today. Uh, I wonder if this title um, would turn you off, if it has turned you off already. Turn or burn. I mean, those words, they can seem so arrogant, so blunt, so unloving. Turn to God or suffer judgment. I hear my friend saying, how dare you say that my life isn't good enough? How dare you say that you know the truth and that I need to listen to you? How dare you say that Jesus is the only way to God and if I don't turn to him, then I'll be punished for my sin? When, when we say this, when I say this, some may say that we're trying to bully people into religion or coerce them into heaven. Maybe you've heard that. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking that. But we must say it. I must say it. God is love, but he is equally holy and just. And a preacher's duty is to declare the day of wrath and the doom of the wicked. And I must be faithful to God and faithful to you and love you by telling you that the wrath of God is coming. I also need to tell you of the one who can save you from it. Because if that day comes and I didn't tell you, or we didn't tell our friends, then they could well accuse us of being unloving. But please come with me as we look, not at my opinions, but what God says to us here. Let's look at how John the Baptist prepares people for Jesus. Jesus is so important that after a 400-year gap between the Old and New Testaments, after 400 years of silence from God, Jesus has someone to announce his arrival. I mean, when you turned up at church here today, I don't, didn't notice anyone announcing your arrival. Maybe you did on your wedding day if you were married and everyone stood up for you, but not usually. 
But John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, in about AD 27, he announces the arrival of God's Son, the Messiah, the Saviour and King Jesus. As we heard in the kids' talk, the teacher is coming, he says. And everything about John is startling. Startling. In Matthew's Gospel, he comes out of nowhere, His clothing, his food, his message, his baptising of Jews is all startling and unexpected. If you know your Old Testament prophets, John may remind you of someone. Elijah. Like Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 1, John wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. And as we read in, or as Uh, Chris read for us in Malachi chapter 4, the very last verses of the Old Testament promised that a future Elijah figure would come who would prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says this, I will send, God says, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist fulfills this. He prepares the people for the Lord primarily by calling them to repent. Repent of sin, our first point. In quoting Isaiah 40 in verse 3, he's saying, I'm preaching in the wilderness to prepare people for the coming of God. And he does this by preaching repentance. Look at verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the kingdom of heaven means the same thing as the kingdom of God. Remember, Matthew is writing especially for Jews in this gospel, and Jews often avoided using God's name out of reverence. And so read kingdom of heaven and think God's kingly rule. And God's rule is near Because Jesus Christ, God's appointed king, is near. He's about to arrive publicly. John is preparing people for Christ by calling them to confess their sins and repent. What does the word repent mean? If I realised I was eating too much chocolate, my doctor said my cholesterol was up, if I repent means I change my mind, My direction, I stop eating chocolates. If I'm driving down the street and I realise I'm going the wrong way, that has happened before. But if I realise I'm going the wrong way, I will do a U-turn. I will repent and head back the other direction. To repent is to change your mind, to change your direction, your life's direction. In the Bible, to repent of sin To repent means to repent of sin. It's to turn away from rebelling against God and from ruling your own life. And God wants us to turn back to him. In Malachi chapter 3, God says, You've turned away from my statutes, my rules, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. We do that. You Do that when you trust in the Lord. Let him take charge of your life. Let him grab hold of the steering wheel of your heart. 
so that King Jesus now calls the shots. I wonder, have you done that? Have you confessed your sins like the people do in verse 6? Have you confessed how we've made a mess, as Elle said in the kids' talk? Confess all the things you've done wrong and all the things you've failed to do right. Confess how you wanted to rule your own life your way. Confess how you need to start again with God. So have you decided to stop and turn back to him and asked Jesus to be your king? Have you done that? If not, why not do that today? Now I ask you, why do we take a shower or a bath? I think normally, maybe it's out of habit, but it's really to get the dirt and the stink off, isn't it? Well, back in Jesus' day, if a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they'd have to be washed, baptised, symbolising the the washing of their sins and uncleanness. And repentance is signified in baptism. John was called the Baptist because he baptised so many. Crowds come from Jerusalem, we're told, from all around. And in verse 6, they're baptised by him in the River Jordan. If you look at verse 11, it says they're baptised for repentance. Likely that means they're baptised as a sign of their repentance. I don't know what the River Jordan looks like that day. These are two pictures I found. And I don't know whether you'd be happy to get in if it was clean or dirty, but remember the baptism is about symbolism, not about washing off physical dirt. Christian baptism, it signifies the, the washing of our sins, the receiving and cleansing of the spirits, a commitment to live God's way, our initiation into relationship with God, into God's family, which Christ has all enabled through the cross. It's a very rich symbol. Baptism is like a flashing neon sign that says God, by his grace, saves you, washes you clean when we repent and believe. And we'll come back to baptism again shortly in our next point. So crowds of people are coming to John and in verse 7, the Jewish leaders come too. The Pharisees, they saw themselves as the separated ones. They're better. They saw themselves as better, more holy than everyone else. And the Sadducees, they're those of the high priestly party. They all come. Look at what John calls them, you brood of vipers. You pile of snakes, offspring of snakes. I mean, that's pretty sharp, isn't it? Interestingly, in Luke's account of this, John says this, you brood of snakes, to the whole crowd. John is saying you can't just think you're safe because you're a physical descendant of Abraham. You must bear fruit, verse 8, in keeping with repentance. In other words, sincere, genuine repentance, you turning from sin to God, it must show itself in action, in our life, our behaviour, our good works. The evidence of repentance will be a changed life. Paul says in Acts 26, I preached that people should repent and turn to God 
performing deeds in keeping with their repentance or showing their repentance by their deeds. When we talk about fruits, we're talking about hearts that have been changed by the grace of God and what that looks like in life, in real life. So you and I, we can't say that we've repented. We can't say that we're Christian and then live how we want. If we've turned to God, it's going to show itself in how we live. Love for God. Love for others. And so I ask, can others tell that you've repented? And what's going to motivate this real repentance? John says to the leaders, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And and John goes on to give us two pictures. Look at verse 10 to help us see that we need to repent now. Don't put it off. One of chopping, one of burning. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and then thrown into the fire. The message is repent or be judged. John's message, it's not flattering, it's frightening, isn't it? It's not soothing, it is soul-searching. He preached imminent doom, a catastrophe that could only be avoided by a radical U-turn of heart and mind. It was Charles Spurgeon who, the English preacher, who is famous for the phrase, turn or burn. In a sermon on Psalm 7 in 1856, he called people to turn or burn. People today, even we, need to hear the same message. But as Spurgeon says, we assert that there is a necessity that God should wet, that means sharpen his sword and punish men if they will not turn. Ernest Baxter used to say, sinner, turn or burn. It is your only alternative. Turn or burn. Spurgeon says, it is so. God must punish sin. God is just so he cannot leave. Sin go unpunished. People must turn or else they will burn. And I say this out of love for you whether you're here in this room or watching online. See, there comes a time when we also need to say this to others, even with tears, out of love for them. To imagine that there will be no punishment for sin and that people can be saved without repentance is to fly in the face of all the scriptures In Spurgeon's words, did God not blast Eden and drive our parents out of that happy garden? Did he drown a world with water and inundate creation with floods? Will he not punish sin? Let the burning hail which fell on Sodom tell you that God is just. And John the Baptist prepares people for King Jesus by calling them to repent before the fire of judgment comes. 
Our second point, John also prepares people by pointing them to Jesus, calling them to turn to Jesus. If you think about where we've come in Matthew's Gospel so far, Matthew's Gospel has already told us that Jesus is the promised descendant of Abraham and son of David, the Christ, God's promised king. Remember, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And even non-Jewish wise men travelled far to come and worship him. And now John the Baptist wants people to look to him. Verse 11, he's saying, The one coming after me is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes, carry his sandals. In other words, John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be Jesus' slave and carry his shoes. That's how great Jesus is. Just briefly, what else are we told in this last paragraph of chapter 3 about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Look right at the end, verse 17, the God's voice booms and says, declares him to be the Son of God. The Son is loved by the Father. He truly, always, fully pleases the Father. Unlike me, unlike you. And yet there's more. What the Gospels tell us about Jesus is so rich and so deep. Verse 16, he has the Spirit, he has the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has the presence of the third person of the Trinity with him. And yet while Jesus is God, he's also truly and fully human. And as a human being, he comes to be baptised by John in the Jordan but the question that John the Baptist can't get around his head around is, why? Why are you coming to me? I mean, Jesus has no sin to confess. He has nothing to repent of. So why be baptized? And Jesus says, verse 15, it's to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus here is identifying with us sinners. He's walking in our shoes He's being our representative in living rightly. And he must be identified with his people in the removal of their sins. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, He was numbered with the transgressors. It's happening here, but it also, also happens on the cross. And his water baptism here anticipates a future baptism. Jesus will describe his suffering and death as a baptism which he must undergo, Luke 12, verse 50. And so his baptism here looks forward to the, the waves of God's judgment that are going to wash over him as he suffers and dies on that cross for sinners. Jesus bears our sin enabling us to be forgiven. And Christians, isn't that what we believe? But also, Jesus not only has the Spirit, verse 11, he gives the Holy Spirit. 
While John baptizes and washes people with water, Jesus will baptize, so wash and bring people the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, it tells us that it was the risen and ascended Jesus who's poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost with tongues of fire. It was Jesus who gave the Holy Spirit to his people, and he still does. I ask you, do you have the Holy Spirit? If you don't, or if you're not sure, just turn to Jesus and trust in him. Water baptism doesn't save anyone, not adults, not infants. But if you're a believer, if you've repented and turned to trust in Christ, I ask, are you baptised? If not, why not? Neglecting baptism is to disobey the Lord. We've seen here it's a failure to follow the example of Christ himself. Baptism is an important sign and confirmation of the way God saves us by his grace. But don't look to your own water baptism for comfort, as if you can think that's given you a ticket to heaven. Don't even look to your family for comfort. In verse 9, the Jews couldn't take comfort in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. So please don't think that having Christian parents will save you. That won't. Don't look to your family for confidence. Look only to Christ. John came to prepare people and point people to him. And John not only preached that people need to repent or face judgment, he even makes clear that Jesus is the one who will bring the judgment. Verse 12 Jesus will clear the threshing floor. He will gather the wheat and burn the shaft with an unquenchable fire. This is saying those who've not repented and borne fruit, Jesus will cast into the fire, a fire that will never stop. In Matthew's Gospel, as we go through it this year, Jesus repeatedly speaks of those who don't bear fruit of being thrown into the fire, experiencing eternal fire, the fire of hell. How terrible that is. How terrifying. In love, John is warning people, turn or burn. And in love, God warns us all here today in this passage, turn or burn. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it like this. It is knowing and sensing the danger and the filthiness of our sin that moves us to turn to God for mercy that's found in Christ. You might be so totally living for yourself and sin at the moment that you think, I have no hope that I will ever turn from it myself. But listen, 
Christ who died on the cross and who is exalted on high is exalted that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins, says Acts chapter 5. So do you feel today that you are a sinner? If so, ask Christ to change your hearts. Ask Christ to give you repentance for he can work repentance in your heart by his spirit. Is your heart hard like iron? If so, he can put it in the furnace of his love, make it melt. Is your heart cold to the work of God? His grace is able to dissolve it like ice melts in the sun. Go home today and bow your knees before God and remember and confess your sins to him and tell him that you cannot repent as you want to. Tell him that your heart is hard or your heart is cold, cold as ice. And you can do that if God has made you feel your need for a saviour. And then if you've been convicted of your sins and your heart desires to seek after repentance, then sit down for an hour, read the last four chapters of Matthew's Gospel, and as you see the King Jesus who loved and died, and as you see that glorious man hanging there with blood dripping from his hands and his feet, Well, if that does not make you repent by the Spirit, I don't know what will. The repentance that John calls for here, it happens as a whole of life thing, essentially once when you get converted, when you turn to God in faith, when you're born again and are saved. And this repentance, it's not just the cutting off of the top of a weed or pulling off, trying to pull out a weed, but grabbing only the leaves. But rather, this repentance is a removal at the roots. You see, repentance gives you a a real change, a new heart. It's changing that sewer pipe that spews forth filth to a fountain of clean water. And so if you have repented and you have come under the rule of King Jesus, the message for you today is live for him now. You see, for all of us who have repented and believed, there is this ongoing, continual repentance that's required of us, not for salvation, There is a general repentance that by God's grace saves you, but this is followed throughout life with a a duty to repent of particular sins. So we have been saved by Jesus. We who know Jesus is our Lord and King, we must still repent of our specific sins. We must give them up and turn away from them. And so I ask, what is God convicting you of at the moment? in your conscience, 
that you need to change? What sin does he want you to hate? What what does he want you to change to please him, to show that Jesus is your Lord? Maybe maybe it's a fear of man, a, a fear of people. Maybe it's a fear of rejection or really a lack of love for people that actually stops you sharing the gospel with others. Maybe it's a fear of people, a fear of rejection or a lack of love for them that actually stops you sharing about this judgment that is to come. I know those things myself. But just like Carolyn warned her neighbour of the fire in her house, we love people when we warn them of the danger and the fire that is to come. Pray that you'll love people in your words and your actions. Pray that you'll hate your sin and turn to the glorious Jesus. Pray that your life in 2021 will be one of continual repentance, ongoing repentance. A 15-year-old boy or young man went to church one day, bowed down with guilt and feeling his sinfulness. The minister walked up the pulpit stairs, opened his Bible and read this verse, Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The 15-year-old named Charles later writes, The preacher fixed his eyes on me. And before he began to preach to others, he said to me, young man, look, 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 you are one of the ends of the earth. You feel it. You feel that you are. You know your need of a saviour. Charles Spurgeon said, by grace, I looked upon Jesus And though desponding, downcast, ready to despair, and feeling that I could die, then live as I had lived. At that very moment, it seemed as if heaven had given its birth within my conscience. And I went home, no more cast down. Those about me, noticing the change, asked me why I was so glad. And I told them that I had believed in Jesus. Could that be you today? John prepared people for Jesus by calling them to turn from their sin. We can be prepared for and safe from the fire of judgment if we turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And then the Father can say to us, just as he once said to Jesus in verse 17, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. Turn 
to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that when we look at our own lives honestly, we haven't lived your way. We do want to be in charge. We make such a mess of things. Father, we pray that by a work of your spirit, you've given to your son to give to us. We thank you, Lord, that you can change our hearts. You have changed so many of our hearts. We pray, Heavenly Father, that for those who are here and listening, that by work of your grace that you would grant them repentance and save many from the judgment to come that we all deserve. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, as we look to our glorious and loving Lord Jesus and remember the danger of the judgment that's to come, may we love living your way. By your spirit, empower us to live lives of continual repentance. And we ask this, Father, for the glory of Christ. Amen.